coming up. A dude in the attic, a girl in a panic, and a visit from satanic people. That doesn't fit the approved opening format. So? (laughs) Also, we're going to have food, drink, and an exorcism. Can be bad. Might be good. Might as well listen and find out, right? Gird your loins, unholy rollers. It's time for Kiss the Goats. Let's consider the horror movies that delve into the supernatural realm with a particular focus on demonic activity. And I'm X, and this is Kiss, Kiss the Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Light a candle for the sinners, set the world on fire. We are your high priest and priestess of satanic cinema, and we have such sights to show you. This is episode 38 of Kiss the Goat, and welcome to it. Hey, stop your grinning and drop your linen. It's time to invoke our patron anti-saint. Cindy Sin Fallon. I was raised by wolves. <laughs> this is the original Sin, Cindy Sin Fallon. We are really looking forward to this episode, guys, because we have wrapped our hands around a classic. And since it is such a classic, hell, it came out the year I graduated high school. I think people take for granted just how fucked up this movie is. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you've got adultery, murder, blood, fetishes, blasphemy. Shit, that sounds like a standard Tuesday night around here. No, 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 no. We watch SmackDown on Tuesday night, so this is more like a Thursday. That's right. By, by the way, Jesus, WWE, four fucking shows I have to keep up with now. That's not even counting superstars and main event. That's a lot of mat handling, guys. Shit. And two pay-per-views a month? Damn. I mean, and fucking Linda McMahon is now part of the cabinet. <laughs> I don't Inescapable. <laughs> inescapable and that's really only kind of a complaint we still seem to manage to work in all the shows yeah how do we get on this why are we talking about are we talking about wrestling well i don't know it kind of makes sense there's some wrestling in this movie well sort of there's struggle cuddling (laughs) hammer fucking frog splashing Where's Corey Graves when you need him? Coming up during movie time, we'll be taking a look at Clive Barker's 1987 film, Hellraiser. Back in a minute. Howdy, folks. Like blood, violence, freaks of nature. You come to the right place. My name is Gary, and I'm your guide to Cinema Beef Podcast. Every episode, we not only deliver film reviews, we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films. Sometimes for the better, and sometimes for the worse. Hey, 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 you shut your 
Alright, calm down, calm down. Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. You're slapped. That's not very nice. The only rules, well, let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. Three, be nice. So join the insanity and please vent your frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Remember, here at the Seven Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. Welcome back to Kiss the Goat. Gird your loins, brothers and sisters. It's time to put on your ugly spiritual sweatsuit and hit the devil right in the Pilates. The power of bullshit compels you. It's time to get your exercise. It's the power of Christ that compels you. The power of Christ compels you. That the power of Christ compels you. 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 Are you sick? Are you miserable? Are you crippled? You my kind of people. Hey, let's give the real exorcist Bob Larson a warm welcome back to the show. Or not. <laughs> Bob's got a real quandary before him this time, as the man he is exercising is also a pastor. A pastor possessed by a demon called... Mugu? M- M- Mongo? Mr. Magoo? Macaroon? I don't, I don't know. Some M-word. <laughs> well, I'm sure Bob Larson didn't say that. No, m Word, not N word. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Cue <laughs> uh, up, Bob, please. Thank you. Who's this man? Put you in torment, Satan. Torment. Hi, I'm Derek. I've got some issues. I have some issues. And some demons. And some demons. But I belong to Jesus. But I belong to Jesus. And the devil's got to leave me alone. The devil's got to leave me alone. Amen? Give him a hand. Come on. This is the worst case of call and response since the Guns N' Roses live version of Knocking on Heaven's Door. I sing one, then you sing one. Seventeen! So in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I break that curse. I break that curse. I go back. I go back. To when that perversion started. To when... To when that... Per- Perversion started. Let me tell you what's happening. We're going back to the start of the curse. The devil doesn't want him to go back there. Whatever my ancestors did. Whatever my my ancestors did. The lust and perversion. The lust and perversion. Their blood sacrifices. Their blood sacrifices. Their witchcraft. They're witchcraft. I renounce it. I renounce it. Why does Bob always go back to blood sacrifices? 
he's obsessed. Always goes back to the blood sacrifices. And he always takes it back to Africa. Now, I'm wondering, did God tell him that? Or did he figure it out because the man he's exercising is an African-American? Hate, murder, perversion, all of you. You're going to leave this man of God alone. You're going to leave him alone. You're going to leave him. Well, we go back to Africa, don't we? My guess is that you're a king. Wait a minute. This guy's speaking in tongues. I thought he was possessed. Maybe Bob got the Holy Spirit confused with a demon? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe blood sings to blood. You're powerful, aren't you? Open your eyes and look at me. They sacrificed blood to you, dude. Blood. Your name, spirit. The people of God commanded you. What is it? Right here. His name is Gondo. Gondo. <laughs> Gondo. Isn't that somewhere in Middle Earth? Shit. That's Gondor, dear. Uh, I try. You do. It's really cute. Do you have legal... Watch the link. Do you have legal authority, Gondo, to stay in this man? Yes or no? Do you have legal authority? Well, then you don't have. He just shook his head no. Then you have to go. Say I come to the ruler. Come to the ruler. Come to the ruler. The ruler. Ruler. Lift the curse. No. Yes. No. Yes. Say it, Gondo. Lift the curse. The curse. On this man. This man. Future generations. Future generations. Future generations. Future generations. Generations. Future generations. Future generations. Future generations. How many generations? Answer me, Gondo. How many generations? How many generations? Three generations. One son. Two daughters. Yes. I think this guy's possessed by animal from the Muppets. Ganda, Ganda, King, King Ganda. For what you did to torment this man, to molest him as a child, seven times greater than all the torment on him, I call forth the wrath of God on you. Gondo saying, I receive the judge. The judge, 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 the
Oh, you ought to see the smile in this man's face. You are a big Oh, beautiful sight. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> Tell them who did this for you. Tell them who did this for you. Who did this for you? Who's the glory belong to? Amen. Jesus does this. And, uh, I found out about you on, on the internet. Uh, actually, I was watching TV, and I was a uh, minister, actually, a uh, man of God, and I'm a preacher. Whoa, now, he can walk out in a new anointing, a new power, a new marriage, a new future, a new destiny. A new car! And set the devil to fly. Hallelujah! Well, that was entertaining. <laughs> Remember, kids, mm. exorcists are everywhere. Remain vigilant. Don't get suckered by these sick fuckers. It's about spectacle. It's about control. And most of all, it's about money. All right, everybody. Pull down, take off your shoes, pull down your pants, and don't forget to breathe. After this quick break, we'll come back and talk about Hellraiser. Black Anise Horror Podcast. The podcast that will change your life forever. Repetition of the repetition. Is that a word? That is now a word. Intense. Zero whatevers. So insightful that you will question your place in the universe. You just said you wanted to see somebody stab a fish. Mind-blowing. That is not what... That's not... No. Inspiring. It's one of two things all the way through. Either predictable or stupid. Life-changing. This is going to be filled with spoilers. Black Anna's Horror Podcast. Exclusively available on the Legion Podcast Network. It's almost like a little advertisement. Yeah, the advert makes it sound so promising. Hey, this is X from Kiss the Goat. Do you know we have a website called KissTheGoat.com? You know what's at KissTheGoat.com? Tell them, cutie. Did you know that you can buy Kiss the Goat t-shirts and bottle caps and mugs and other apparel to show your support for your favorite podcast at KissTheGoat.com? Tell me more. <laughs> well, you can go to kissthegoat.com and click on Wear the Goat, and you will see a vast selection of apparel and accessories that you can purchase with your favorite podcast logo. Wear the Goat? Wear the Goat. Oh, well, is it kissthegoat.com? <laughs> They're the Goat. I have seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker. Hellraiser. Beyond any terror you have imagined. A nightmare. No. Unlike anything you have witnessed, is born. Because within these walls, 
the unholy is unleashed. And you just listened to the trailer for Clive Barker's first film, 1987's Hellraiser. Now, even if you've never seen this movie, you know this is the franchise where Pinhead comes from. And you're probably also familiar with terms like the Lament Configuration, La Marchand Box, or Cinnabites. And if you're listening to this show... You probably already know all of these things, and you're just here for our expert commentary and our calming voices. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's talk about Hellraiser. Yes, have some. (laughs) Right? So, Mm -hmm. Hellraiser starts with the skinniest man in the world. Is he? Isn't he? Look at the guy. Jesus Christ. He's like a size two. I think Peter Murphy has him beat, but only barely. I don't know. I don't know. They could both fit into one leg of a pair of khakis. (laughs) Probably good. (laughs) So anyway, this guy's name is Frank, and he's in Morocco, because Morocco is, I guess, where weird shit is. Isn't there like a market there or something? I don't know. (laughs) So Frank's been writing the Marrakesh Express, and he buys this weird little puzzle box from a dealer that you never see to see his hand. And like most of us do, when we get a new toy, Frank takes it back to an empty attic, surrounds himself with lit circles. Lit, sorry, fuck. He takes it back to a bear attic, surrounds himself with lit candles in a circle, and begins playing with his brand new toy. I want to try to surround myself with lit circles. I wonder what that would entail. Be the Olympics. Oh, that sounds right. See? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay, so, carry on. So anyway, he starts touching the box and things start squirming around like 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 they do. Box expands. You'll have that. <laughs> but in this situation, it, it kind of gets weird because all of a sudden, chains with hooks start raining down from the ceiling, ripping into his flesh and essentially just just tearing him apart. That'll teach you to touch things. There's I, my favorite part of of the whole attic scene. There's the spinny part. There's like this big two by four that just spins and it's got nothing on it but like body parts and rats. Yeah, dude, that's not even that's like way bigger than a two by four. It's like you got a fucking railroad tie suspended in the middle of the room by chains. And that's like and I don't even know why that's effective, but it is. That's that's that part is like fucking creepy out of that whole room with the hooks and the chains and, you know, the ripping flesh and everything. There's this fucking railroad tie with shit hanging off of it. Ears. <laughs> Ears. Dead rat. It's like being, it's like being, in, a, it's like being in a boutique. <laughs> it's just like, no boutique I've ever been in. Well, Sunglass Hut. 
But even then, it's like that's the best feature of it. But the funniest part is when Pinhead kind of puts together Frank's face in in big chunks on the floor. There's like an eye over here, and then an inch late, a bunch away. There's like his other eye, <laughs> like his fucking yeah. in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's better than the jigsaw puzzle from Pieces because this is actually human jigsaw puzzle. It's it's like the Frank placemat. <laughs> it is the Frank placemat. <laughs> Yeah. So after that delicious scene where Frank gets ripped apart and then, you know, Pinhead, as a side thought, just kind of puts his little face back together on the floor. Um, the next scene is introduces uh, a couple of the, the other main characters in this film. Uh, and this is Frank's brother and his horrible neurotic wife, um, Julia. Julia. What is Frank's brother's name? I have such a hard time remembering names. It's Larry. Larry. No wonder I forgot Larry. Right? Larry and Julia. And Larry really is kind of a forgetful character. He's uh, forgetful uh, or forgettable. Forgettable. That too. Yeah. We can forget him. And he would probably forget us too. He's not hard to forget. (laughs) Right. So they they come into this house that apparently belonged to Larry and Frank's mother, uh, and she has passed away. And uh, Larry's like, I haven't fucking heard from Frank in years. I don't know where he is. And we're just gonna we're gonna move into this house. It'll be great, he says. We'll move. <laughs> come out to the coast. Now here's the thing about the house. It's a nice three level house if you count the attic, and you kind of have to count the attic because as they're moving things in. They realize that Uncle Frank's been squatting there. He's got a bed. He's got an he's got an ashtray. And typical for Frank, it's like a dirty ashtray. It's like two like Japanese people fucking from from the Wong Dynasty, I guess. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> he also has a collection of photographs. Yes, he does. <laughs> and Julia finds those particularly interesting. Because we don't know who took them, for one thing. They're Polaroids. That's never really explained. Unless he's got, like, a stick where he's, like, pushing the big red button on the on the one step. That's the prototype for the selfie stick. <laughs> it's got to be. So Julia's kind of freaked out by the house. And the reason she doesn't want to move back in is because that's where she used to fuck Frank. Mm-hmm. We get a nice, lovely little flashback scene here when Julia is uh, upstairs after Larry has left her to go exploring the rest of the house, and she's flipping through Frank's photo collection. Um, we get this flashback scene of her um, when the first time that she meets Frank, and this is right before she marries Larry. And here's funny, because Julia looks looks kind of severe throughout most of the film, but in this mm-hmm. flashback, to make her younger and appear kind of softer, they give her mall bangs and a mullet. They do. And it works! It's horrible, but of course it's a flashback, so it's kind of like a fuzzy focus on the camera she anyway. She looks like the bassist for Def Leppard! <laughs> She does, and she's all demure and like. (laughs) 
and she pretty much acquiesces to whatever Frank wants, which, of course, Frank just wants to fuck. So he comes in, and it's pouring rain, and she lets him in the house, and then pretty much all of the flashback scenes that we see from there out, um, when she's thinking about Frank, is him just boning the hell out of her and her enjoying it. So apparently, he's the only man who's ever made her come. And she's just like, she's like dick crazy after that dick crazy but only for frank's dick only for frank yeah she's like it's like very selective nymphomania right <laughs> but she's like i'll do anything i'll do anything you know i was telling cootie when we were watching that he just must have a crank as long as his arm because damn <clears throat> you look at the guy and all he is is just stubble and cartilage well well it's not always the size it's how you work it that matters well. But Julia uh, takes one of the photographs and rips the woman out of it and just so she can have this picture of Frank. And she um, stands there by the window, like going through this flashback scene, breathing heavily, and it keeps cutting back and forth. And uh, Larry has has wandered downstairs and you see that there's all kinds of food and maggots and bugs and shit in the kitchen where Frank left a mess, and and obviously when he got torn apart by the Cenobites, didn't have a chance to clean up. Um, <laughs> she was going to anyway. It no, doesn't really seem like not. the domestic type. <laughs> he really doesn't. <laughs> it should come as no surprise that Larry's daughter, uh, Kirsty, is not a real big fan of Julia. Julia's not her mother, and Julia's a bit of a squidge so that's a good word for it thank you i just made that up i don't don't know what it means larry invites kirsty to move in with them and kirsty says no because she's got her own place and she's apparently dating the guy from spandau ballet because he's got the same hair as julia in the flashback but he's a lot he's a lot more new romantic he's got that ugly ass benetton sweater with fucking mm-hmm. color patches on it, so he looks like a like Lowe's essentially. Um, <laughs> yeah, but they look so cute with her in her members only jacket. Oh my god, just, her Jennifer Beals hat. Go with yeah, yeah. <laughs> this movie. Oh, it's dated. It's it's moving day, and the moving guys are bringing in this gigantic mattress that's supposed to go upstairs. And they're moving mm-hmm. too slow, and they're begging Larry for beer, and Larry's a puss bag, so he goes and gets them a six-pack, and then he starts helping them move the mattress. And then we get this interesting sequence of shots that go between Julia upstairs, uh, basically creaming her jeans, flashbacking about Frank. and out. Oh, dude. And Larry downstairs, like getting hammered by the mattress that the moving guys are trying to help him cram upstairs. And we have our first blood sacrifice of the film. Cause Larry gets the back of his hand shoved against a nail head that's sticking out of the staircase. And you know, <laughs> guys, you should see X. <laughs> you should see X when this scene comes on because he just 
he literally physically recoils at the sight of the back, the, the head of this nail slicing open the back of Larry's hand. It's amazing. I can't take it. I can take the rest of the movie. I can watch the most <laughs> awful shit in the world. But man, just that slow motion skin rip on the head of that nail. Oh, no. I can, I can feel it. And I, it's like, it's I know how that feels. And I don't, yeah. Oh, I, just, I, I do not want that. So Larry is doing the same thing that I would do. He staggers upstairs to the attic where his wife is. He's like, honey, oh. I'm going to pass out. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> And of course, Julie is all, you know, ice bitch face. No, you're not going to pass out. No, you're not going to throw up. And he is just bleeding profusely. Just big goblets of blood are falling onto the hardwood floor in this attic room. Well, Julie is just pissed that Larry interrupted her, you know. Private time. For a little private time. If she could cross her legs any faster, her jeans would be on fire. Uh, I dated a woman like that once. Really? Anyway. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, there's blood and there's blood and cum everywhere. Let's just, no, be honest. But the blood doesn't stay in one place. You see it being soaked up into the floorboards, and this sets off a chain of events that this movie uh, really is focused around. It's amazing. It is amazing. It's and amazing. It's, it's interesting how that veil between whatever dimension that Frank is – what's left of Frank uh, is in with the Cenobites is so close to our dimension that, that the blood hitting the floorboards in that place where he opened the box uh, is enough to start to revive him and bring him back. And he comes back um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of messy, messy, kind of chunky. The best part, very chunky. The best parts when his legs come up out of the floor, just straight up out of the floor, and then his knees kind of bend the wrong way. So it's like it's like he looks like a basement cricket at that point. Ooh, but see, my favorite part of that sequence is where you know his brain is just starts to form on the floor, like out from the rest of his body, and when it becomes whole enough, like the rest of his body, which is really just skeletal, just kind of lunges forward and <laughs> plunges into the brain, right? and that's how it comes to attach to his spinal column again. So it's Frank, beautiful. Yeah, so Frank is literally putting himself back together thanks to Larry's big drops of 80s blood. Mean, meanwhile, Julia has shuffled him off to the hospital to get stitches. And uh, the next scene that we get to see is a dinner party. Yeah. That they're having. And I'm thinking, God damn, y'all just moved in. And you've got the fucking energy to entertain. And they got like eight people there. I Who does have, that? I wouldn't even have the energy to call Jimmy John's at that point. I'd be like, you know what? Right? Bring your own fucking sandwiches. <laughs> I'm doing shit. No fucking way. I got ten stitches in the back of my hand. What I'm going to do? Make tortellini? Get fucked. 
of course they can't afford to hire movers so maybe they had like food catered or something but the movers sucked so bad larry had to move the mattress for them (laughs) that's true (laughs) note to self don't ever hire movers (laughs) right yeah two men (laughs) in a jeep don't do it um so anyway, Julia doesn't want to be involved in the party, and she excuses no. herself. And she, of course, she goes upstairs to the attic so she can, can continue just rubbing herself raw to the thought of Frank. Yeah, and like every, I mean, from the word go in this movie, you see the strained relationship that Julia and Larry has, and this just kind of furthers that. Uh, there's a really tense moment at the dinner party where Julie is just like, nope, I need to go lay down. And Larry just kind of looks at her and there's this obvious tension between them. And then she takes off to go upstairs. Well, Julia, and, is, Julia is so not fun. She makes Margaret Thatcher look like Steve-O. She really does. It's like, God damn woman. Was that, I mean, but you know, if the, if you, <laughs> if you were in her situation, and you fucked your fiance's brother like right before your wedding on your wedding dress nonetheless and it was so intense and so orgasmic and you never experienced that again in all the years that you were married to your husband i got to i got to think that's that's going to make you a little bitter that's what they make gigantic rubber fists for and <laughs> Violators is where it's at. Yeah, and therapists, apparently. Anyway, Julia's in the attic, and um, so So is Frank. So is Frank, yeah. (laughs) And of course, Julia freaks out at first because, of course, it sounds like Frank, but Frank has no skin and he has no hair. He's basically just a bunch of. Just a bunch of sinews that want a cigarette. Yeah, man. It's not even like fully developed musculature yet at this point. It all looks kind of like beef that's been sitting in the refrigerator for way too long. (laughs) It's this really bad gray-green color, and there are chunks missing. But it's Frank, all right, and really all he can do is this crazy-ass army crawl on his elbows across the floor. But that fucker can fly for somebody who's been dead one of the one of my favorite parts of frank i don't mean like i should probably rephrase that one of my favorite things about frank is his voice Mm -hmm. he's got this growly voice and he talks like this he's like julia julia it's me frank Frank. like he makes his own name he's been drinking whiskey he makes his own name sound dirty it's great yeah, how do you make Frank sounds sound dirty? I don't know, but he manages it. I'm sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> so anyway, here's the deal with Frank. Frank has escaped from the Cenobites, which are the things that tore him apart, literally. Escaped. Well, that's what he says. He says he's escaped. He got away. And now the blood has brought him back to life. But in order for him to become complete, he needs more blood. Yeah. And poor Julia, who has only ever had one orgasm in her life, is willing to do anything 
anything. I think she's. She... I think she's had more than one, but I think they were just all on that day. They were all from Frank. Just all that just, just like an hour and a half. Here's forty three to grow on. Just. And she's like, what? Um, hmm. So I need to kill people and bring them to you so that I can have more of that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and she agrees. Yeah, sure. I'll bring you more blood. No problem. So she starts hanging out at like airport bars and museums and, and, and her hair gets progressively worse throughout the entire thing. And the, the thickness of her blue eyeshadow increases. So she starts. And, and the sharpness of her earrings. Did you notice they keep yeah. getting progressively bigger and more angular? It's really kind of scary. I think at one point she's wearing the glaive from Crawl on one of her ears. It's just huge. I think so blades <laughs> so she starts bringing the schlubs home they're like hey she's like and they're oh they're all so fucking british she's like oh i see that you're alone maybe you would like to not be alone you should go somewhere together and be with each other and she's like oh that's a splendid idea i know a place and so she drags all these people back home up to the attic and as soon as she closes the door, the guys are like, oh, shall we, sh- shall I take off my jacket then? <laughs> and by that time, it's too late because Frank is beating them in the head with a hammer going, don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Julia carries out the beating in the head with the hammer bit. The and time. then Frank just comes up and sticks his fingers in the sides of their neck and you get this just fantastic, gross sound of, like, somebody sucking up the last of a milkshake through a really big straw. It's like Mork drinking through his finger. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I vaguely remember Mork and Mindy. <laughs> vaguely. I do not remember that. Yeah, yeah, he, he drank through his finger. That's creepy as fuck. Yeah. And he would make that noise. Yeah. What a weird yeah. fucking show. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, what? We were talking about Hellraiser before I derailed. <laughs> right, <damn>. right. <laughs> but anyway, Julia gets like two or three of these schmucks up into the attic, and Frank is getting better and better all the time. Before um, she starts to rouse uh, Kirsty's. Kirsty's her name, right? It's Kirsty. Kirsty, that's what I said. Okay, so before she starts to to rise Kirsty's suspicions, and Kirsty comes over to the house one day in the middle of the day while her dad's at work and sees Julia bringing home one of these khaki colored, balding, middle aged poor men. Chartered um, accountant, tube riding, aha, written songs about them kind of fuckers, yeah. For real, poor, desperate, desperate people. Um, so anyway, uh, Kirsty comes over and she sees Julia taking one of these men into the house. So of course, Kirsty is not going to let that shit go. She's going to barge in there and she's going to confront Julia, who she assumes at this point, and you know, not without reason, that she's fucking around on her dad. So she goes in, looks around, 
listens, doesn't really hear anything. So she starts up the stairs, hears a noise up the stairs, you know, there's just this ridiculously dramatic and slow drawn out process before Kirsty finally gets all the way up the stairs and discovers that Frank is there still without skin. Yep. Eating a guy, eating a guy. Like <laughs> how the fuck do you process that information? I don't know. Well, you don't really, she doesn't really get a chance to really process it because Frank's up in his feet going, Kirsty, it's me. Your Uncle Frank. Come to daddy. Come to daddy. <laughs> Which is confusing because he just said, I'm your uncle. Now he's saying, come to daddy. I don't think he understands family relationships that well. You know, I don't think Frank understands a hell of a lot, but uh, there is this, you know, they they tussle and there's there's some struggle cuddling going on and <laughs> she ends up grabbing um, completely by accident. She grabs the box and the Lament configuration, not. Yes. Oh, yeah. Not Julia's box. She grabs the Lament lot, There's been a lot of self-love up in this attic, so I really just kind of wanted to clarify. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Anyway, so, you know, and and then there's this confrontation and she ends up like uh, throwing the box through the window because Frank is like, give it to me. And then she runs away when he's all like, no, because the the box went flying out the window. Um, so, I mean, and, and that's the gist. That's the setup. Um, so Julia's fucking freaked out, Julia, sorry. Uh, Kirstie is fucking freaked out and she's, she's run out of the house and she's picked up the box where it was laying on the ground outside and is kind of catatonic, just wandering through the streets with blood on the front of her white blouse where Frank had grabbed her. Uh, and she's clutching the box. And at that point she gets taken to a hospital cause she just collapses there in the middle of the city. And people are like, the fuck is with this white girl? walking around with blood and clutching this box. I don't know. I think that happens all the time in big cities. You I think don't, so? I don't totally. know because I'm not a city I, guy. I Yeah, that is, no. But the way either. that I envision cities, there are always white girls wearing bloody clothes, clutching small toys. <laughs> Just wandering around in the state of yeah. Catatonia. <laughs> so she wakes up in the, in the hospital, of course. And this is kind of an interesting scene, too, because there's all this really weird, evocative imagery on the television. It's not even really a show, unless the show was called Flowers Opening in Slow Motion over and over and over again. <laughs> and it's I, almost like Kirsty is on a bad trip, right? Yeah. Like it, <laughs> she's just seeing all kinds of weird shit, and she doesn't know what's real and what's the dream. And she starts playing with the box. Mm -hmm. The puzzle box. I know the it's puzzle. boring in the hospital, but I, I mean she's playing with the lament configuration, which I guess could be a name. That's what we should call Julia's box. <laughs> so anyway, she solves, she solves the puzzle. And the Cenobites show up, and she's running from them, and she's the, the fucking walls open up, and she's running down this weird corridor, and she runs into this monster that they call the Engineer. And the Engineer has two heads, like one head like down around your knees, and another head like on a really long neck that would be up over your head. During this sequence, if you watch really closely, you can see not only the cart, that the engineer monster is being pushed on, but you can see the two guys from the film crew actually pushing it. <laughs> it's 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 like a it's it's like one of those hand wagons on the railroad track. So 
Somebody did not fix it in post. They did not. <laughs> they did not. Yeah. So that always but makes anyway, me laugh. Go ahead. Yeah. No, that is funny. You're right. I, and I love seeing shit like that where are like, oh, did you see the reflection of that camera guy in the mirror? You know, that kind of shit. I'm right, just like, right. ah, that's funny. It's just like, eh, shattered the illusion there for a minute. Um, but yeah, and, and and it's in this scene after, of course, she escapes from the engineer that uh, she actually, or was it before? I can't remember, where she negotiates with uh, with the Cenobites. No, that's after the engineer. That is after the engineer, isn't it? Yeah, because she escapes the engineer, ends up back in her hospital room, and that's where Pinhead and Shatterer and yeah, and throat are all there. So, so she rats out Frank in a heartbeat. Yeah, she's like that motherfucker got away from you, and I will sell him in a heartbeat if you let me go. And of course, they're not positive that she's actually going to do it. So there is a threat where Pinhead tears her soul apart. <laughs> you know, at the major. Yeah. Which, I don't know, I think that's a great bargaining tool. I think if you're like a, right. a like a car salesman, and you have somebody who's you know, threatening to renege on the deal, I don't know. I don't know if I want that undercoating. <laughs> you know? Oh, <laughs> well, it's already in the contract, and if you don't accept it, I'm gonna tear your tear soul, your soul apart. apart. <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think that's pretty handy. Kirsty goes back home, and the family—well, the family—I say that Frank and Julia seem to be a lot happier than they have been in, <laughs> in, in the past. And the reason for that, which we find out pretty quickly, is that Frank has killed Larry and is now wearing his skin. Wearing his skin. So why the fuck did we have to kill 18 schlubs from the airport bar? Well, apparently he needed a lot of blood before the skin. Because, like, remember at first, with just a little bit of blood from Larry, he was just like this kind of rotted meat thing that wasn't really even ready for skin. So there's a weird family dynamic. <laughs> you think? Going on right now. Yeah, especially since Kirstie comes back to the house thinking that Frank wearing her dad's skin is actually her dad. And he's got this gross kind of like blood and mucus and ectoplasmic ring around his scalp. Like, <laughs> like he just opened up the guy's skin from his hairline, slipped into it, and then closed it up right there. Like he's and it's all just kind of... Like he's just waiting for the caulk to dry. Yeah. It's all like bubbled up and oozing and the dude looks fucking rough. And you're like, how can Kirsty look at him and be like, oh, that's okay. I would be like, what the fuck happened to your head? I don't think she noticed. How do you not notice that? I it's don't so have an obvious. answer. I the thing that gives Frank away, like there's this m several minutes long dialogue while Kirsty's in a panic and she's all like, I was so worried about you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And and it's cool. Everything's fine until Frank starts to get cocky and says, come to daddy. And then, of course, she fucking knows that's not her dad. That's Frank. Frank is in daddy's skin. Daddy wants to Fuck Kirsty. Julia hates Kirsty 
And, well, Frank wants to fuck Julia. Frank just wants to fuck. Well, Kirsty runs upstairs because she's a smart girl. Mm-hmm. Frank, daddy, uncle, Frank, Dunkle. Dunkle. <laughs> Dunkle. Dunkle Frank, of course, grabs a knife and <clears throat> runs after her. And Julia's in his way, so he just stabs the shit out of her. Like, oh, that's not true. He was going for Kirsty with his oh, his handy was? dandy, okay. yeah, with his handy dandy switchblade, and Kirsty dodges, ducks, and dives because she's a smart girl, <laughs> and uh, he ends up instead stabbing Julia, and he's like, ah, oh, well, fuck it. So long as she's dying, I'm gonna get what I can out of her, and he does the whole finger through the throat thing again and sucks her up like nothing personal. The dregs of a drink, yeah, nothing personal. You're dying anyway, bitch. I'm going to take it all. So anyway, that's when they go back to the attic. Mm-hmm. Right when he's about to uh, kill her with his knife or his dick, either one, because I think both would both both would have worked at this point. He might uh, have been using both, for all we know. He may, he may have a knife dick. Yeah. That's when the Cenobites show up. Pinhead's back and Chatterer and Butterball and Pussy Throat, whatever that one's name is. I can't remember. Pussy Throat. I'm not wrong. You're not. That's why it's funny. Oh, my God. Throat curtains. <laughs> yeah, and then it's just kind of a <gasps> moment because, you know, they're there, and then, boom, all of a sudden the Cenobites show up, and Frank's just like, oh, fuck. But Frank doesn't look like Frank. See, he's trying to get away with it. Hey. I'm not Frank. I'm my brother Larry. It's, it's like a, it's like a bad like scene from a dog movie where they're like, he looks like my master. I should sniff him and just <laughs> that'll give him away. So anyway, yeah, they just they <laughs> they figure it out. It's like okay, yeah, that's obviously fucking Frank and someone else's skin. Mm-hmm. So um, here come the chains. Shiny chains. And then the last words of Frank. Which were ad-libbed, by the way. Oh, yeah? Yeah, not even in the script. He just totally ad-libbed that. How creative. Right? And Jesus wept. And then the chains and the hooks just pull him apart, and he explodes. (laughs) He does. Yeah. It's like, dude, did you take a C4 enema before this scene? Because he just... Everywhere. He Terry Funks. <laughs> God damn it. Anyway, the Cenobites are like, well, we've got Frank and we have a nice Larry coat. We're going to go ahead and take you too, Kirsty, because we're demons and that's what you should, ex- that's the kind of behavior that you should expect. But mm-hmm. she works the puzzle box backwards and reopens the, the gates of hell, and they get sucked back into it with some really terrible animation. Yeah. Really bad, like, hand-drawn lightning bolts and yellow outlines that just are just shitty, shitty special effects. Well, consider the time, though. I mean, you know. Yeah. I'm sure that was quite advanced for that no. Okay. <laughs> no, no, it not at all. <laughs> oh, fucking no. I was like, God, what year was it again? 87. 87. So I was 10 years old. I wouldn't watch this movie for another 20 years. I know. I know. 
I'm just saying that at seeing it in the theater back in '87, we were like, "This ending is cool, but uh, that's that's kind of lame." <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair that's, enough. That's, that's that's bullshit. So anyway, the Cenobites get sucked back into hell. The house goes back. No, the house doesn't go back to normal. The house catches on fire, doesn't it? Burns to the fucking ground. <clears throat> and, Which is right. Right, that's what I, should I would burn it to the ground. You know, if it didn't just happen naturally, I'd be like, fuck this house. Right? Gasoline. Yeah, it's happy hour. Molotovs all around. Yep. Right. Christy throws the puzzle box into the burning remains of the house. She does. And that's where and you this... Get... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, that's where you get to see... There's this weird-ass fucking hobo who's been following her around the whole movie. The guy eats crickets and stares at her from behind pieces of siding, you know, walks behind her with a paper bag over his head, hoping she won't notice. (laughs) And he's really dirty, like, except for his eyes. Like, (laughs) he's got these really pale blue eyes that just are stark contrast to the rest of his body. He's got a really full-on beard, lots of gross, scraggly long hair, and then are these eyes just kind of staring out from this face. They picked a good guy to play that character. Yeah, no idea who that was. Probably just some guy they found on the street. Yeah. Who knows? But anyway, he comes walking up from, you know, across this gravel lot where nobody is, comes right up to the fire and reaches into it to grab the puzzle box and bursts into flames himself. <laughs> and turns into, turns into this weird fucking giant bird creature where, like, his wings are made of cardboard tubes and he's kind of like part phoenix, part jabberwock. <laughs> And he flies back to Morocco, apparently, because the next thing you see is the same guy from the beginning selling the puzzle box to someone else. Some poor new schmuck. So really, it's all just a big pyramid scheme. I think you're right. There's the one box. We keep selling it to we sell it to one guy. We get it back. We sell it to another guy. We get it back. It's just that's a huge profit margin. That's how this wonky little Asian guy gets rich, just reselling the same fucking thing that keeps magically being brought back by some demon. Right, by a hobo demon. Hobo demon. <laughs> there you have it, kids. That's it. That's that's Hellraiser in a nutshell. <laughs> it's it's really intense, intelligent film discussion, and it makes me hungry. I could really use a bite to eat. You mean a Cenobite to eat? What? Oh, why would you eat a Cenobite? That's gross. (laughs) Let's just, I tell you what, I think it would be better just to give Al a call and see what recipe he's come up with to go along with Hellraiser. You know what? You can step on my lines. That's fine. Fuck it. I (laughs) don't even fucking care anymore. Go ahead. Shit. Through the magic of radio, we now travel to the frothy shores of Nova Scotia and talk to KTG's official chef, Alan McPherson. It's time for The Devil Eats Out. You, you can have dinner with us. You like head cheese. 
My brother makes it real good. You like it? Do you know if you said two ripe bananas, you put them in a bowl and you put some sugar and you go ahead and bake it for 400, you can go ahead and pull it out and have yourself banana bread. Hallelujah! Pancakes! Pancakes! No pancakes. Pancakes! No pancakes! No fuck off, I'm full. We decided to chuck professionalism out the window and just sit together on the couch and use the computer mic. That We knew that would work, where we hoped it would work. <laughs> so and far, so good. Yeah, and it has. So it's very kind of, you know, Watson, come here, I need you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Cenobites, because you know what? That's the most cheerful fucking thing I've seen so far this holiday season. Love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So have you been plowing through the entire series? Oh, Jesus, no. Okay, okay. Uh, no. We, we watched the first one. I don't think... We watched any of the other ones together. I don't... So I don't we, I, well, yeah, Hellbound. Okay, we did, yeah, we did watch Hellbound. Because yeah, I love that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's wow. a good flick. That's there's a good like, flick. There's like fucking, um, what, seven of them? Yeah. Yeah. And our new one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But yeah, once you get yeah. up to, like, Bloodline, where it's the Hellraiser in space... And I think also Hellraiser in the Victorian age. It's like no. It's like, it's, like it's, it's, it's the Hellraiser version of the Highlander series, and nobody wants that. <laughs> no, you see, now there's like a crossover there, though. What the, the, between Hellraiser and Highlander? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't wouldn't one of the Immortals be like a great target for them? Like. Unless they take off their head, they can pretty much do whatever to them for however long they want, right? Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Wow, they just feel like a big piece of Play-Doh. <laughs> and, well, I mean, Give him two hours, he'll be fine. <laughs> Christopher Lambert's nose, you could already kind of make the argument that that is just a big piece of Play-Doh, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I, this isn't fair for me to be ripping on Christopher Lambert while my wife's asleep because she would have to come to his defense. But well, he was a cutie. I guess. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I just. I, I'd have to break out the big guns and eventually, like, insist that she watch The Sicilian. Oh and, my uh, god. Yeah. Yeah. I remember way back. I tried to watch that with uh, one of my. Uh, Reconnect with my father over video weekend movie uh, yeah, night yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, oh, it's Mario Puzo. This ought to be good. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of pained silence. <laughs> I mean, I guess it was like a bonding It's like when they put Christopher Reeve in that damn Monsignor movie. It's like... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, I made God. him die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember the ad campaign for that. That was like trying to be so. Uh, now you n- see. Now I'm gonna have to go and watch that. Oh no, you. That was the best noise ever. Now. <laughs> There's my Christopher. Uh, that's my uh, Christmas Eve watching right there. I should <laughs> break that out. That's the noise you make the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's not a tracking problem. (laughs) That's your brain. (laughs) (laughs) And there's another Hellraiser crossover. Oh, Jesus. Penhead versus Monsignor. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, it all comes together. Yep. Yeah, it always comes back to that. (laughs) 
So I okay, I rewatched the original Hell, uh, Hellraiser last night. Okay. Uh, in in anticipation, and again, it's it's nice to rewatch films that I kind of like take for granted that I that I know. Because uh, uh, you know you do see different things as you go on, and um, one of my big takeaways watching it this time was uh, if the uh, lady Cenobite character had been played by an actress who had the charisma of a Doug Bradley, I think that franchise could have gone in a completely different direction. Oh yeah, you know, because that's like there's a character that had a lot more lines, seemed to be a lot more in control. Like in terms of calling the shots of what the Cenobites were doing, but was just kind of like a you know portrayed you know nothing against the actress who played her, but as a much more conventional like movie horror movie villain of the time, like skulking around with a knife and acting menacing and growly and stuff. But if that similar kind of like pinhead kind of gravitas had been added to that, there could have been something really different happening there. To the point where I'm almost thinking like if the inevitable remake actually does get off the ground, that might not be a bad direction to explore. It could be a good way to、yeah. do an end run around the whole Doug Bradley issue, like、that's、not a, focus on pinhead at all. That's a good thought. I mean, I had a couple of takeaways about that character too. Because first of all, I couldn't remember what her actual name was, so I just called her Pussy Throat. <laughs> Uh, that old thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that old chestnut. <laughs> yeah, but she actually, yeah, she's actually very, very scary in this film.、And、yeah. I, I like her a lot. Yeah, she's got a lot to do, you know, comparatively.、Um, and、uh, and actually, in her own weird kind of Fantastic Planet slash Sinead O'Connor sort of way, she's a lot more attractive than Julia. <laughs> Well, I that was another thing. It's like、uh, Julia is just like rocking the total '80s, you know, power demon woman look <laughs> the whole time.、Uh, it, it's you almost wonder, well, like what Frank saw in her. She was a lot softer looking when Frank met her. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. You know? She looked kind of like、yep. a, I don't know, kind of like a half drunk Laura Ingalls at that point. <laughs> Now I want to see a full drunk Laura Ingalls. You and me both, brother. <laughs> I hate this goddamn was... town, Pa. <laughs> That was the little house hello,、uh, Halloween、uh, Christmas special we never got. <laughs> full drunk Laura Ingalls. <laughs> It's like ergot poisoning breaks out on the、uh, on the prairie,、oh. and、uh, things get out of hand until Johnny Cash's character shows up, and he's the Reaper. He just takes everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, time to go. Is that the episode everyone remembers of Little House? As the damn Walnut Grove gets poisoned? Oh. Yeah, because that it was、yeah. it actually happened. It was fucking ergo poisoning, and everybody's just like, "He's got the consumption." No, it's poison. He's poisoned. Because <laughs> that sounds like a definite trade up, <laughs> right? <laughs> Paul, these、leave. modern diseases—they don't have the flair of the、uh, classics like consumption. Oh, I miss <laughs> consumption. I sure do. Oh,、uh, it says、That's、it、so、all. So great to say. You know what you're in for when you get consumption. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hooping cough. <laughs> When the name of the disease is the symptom, you know you're that you're just fucked.、So. No, there's no messing around. Like there is a disease out there called monkeypox, 
I don't know what it does, but I know I want nothing to do with it. Yeah, no kidding. Oh my That's, God. yeah, yeah, I'm not going anywhere near that. Uh, so, Hellraiser, yes. Hellraiser, yes, 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 yes. It's funny that, like, we immediately, like, start talking about the Cenobites when they're really not the biggest function of the first film. No, they're really not. It, they're it's really the sort of, like, sleazy drama between, you know, uh, Frank and Julia and all the, uh, the rest of the fam that get kind of caught up in between. They're not exactly a... Do X Machina, um, whatever the, the the sort of quasi-satanic right. equivalent of that would be. Luke, they're, they're like the Luca Brazzi of, of the film. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but there's so much like good stuff in that, like even if they hadn't been introduced as uh, sort of an uh, an S and M MacGuffin. <laughs> uh, to move things along, you know, a smuggin. <laughs> but the, that that you know, the, the main central drama actually could have gotten by quite well without that presence. That's just that sort of extra little add-on gives a whole different tinge to the thing. Right. So instead of being the entree, they're like the fries and or slaw. Mm, maybe like the sort of the special sauce. <laughs> just kind of proprietary and, sauce. like makes it its own thing you know <laughs> I think that's more of a compote than a special sauce <laughs> it seems like and that maybe would a be jelly in this yes, case a tartare mm, yeah definitely <laughs> who played the block of wood with all the stuff stuck to it <laughs> That was a great bit of physical acting. <laughs> it was. You know? Lots of spinning. Very, very, yeah, like, very acrobatic. Kind of like a little off-axis spinning, mm. you know? Where's was, was, uh, was Larry Fishburne? <laughs> I'm going on record as quoting that. Anytime that ever comes up. In fact, I think a little edit of the title sequence. And introducing... <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of horrible thing to eat did you come up with this non-appetizing film? Yeah, uh, this was not, you know, the most logical... Well, it's funny, it's not the most logical food uh, kind of a tie-in film, because the only really consuming of things uh, involves, like, jamming fingers into the back of the dead or dying's <laughs> neck. Right. And try as I might... I haven't really been able to figure out a way to uh, to get that on. It may be some kind of a pulled turkey neck kind of a deal. But um, I actually, what I was kind of taken with almost immediately when I thought of it was uh, the whole central uh, conflict or motivator in the film is this quest for uh, blurring the lines between pleasure and pain where the level of experience of physical sensation is so intense that um, pain and pleasure become blurred and essentially become one and you can't distinguish one from the other and obviously that involves hooks because that's the the shortest line between two points I guess in this case Um, (laughs) so (laughs) I guess that's one of the things that I have uh, a bit of a problem with with the film if I have a criticism of it is that, you know, Pinhead, for example, talks a good game about these sort of pleasure-pain relationships, but then it's just like, oh, tear you apart. 
Um, you don't get the like, I don't know, maybe there's a bit of a Buddhist in me or something, but there's a, they, they don't go the other way. You know, like they, the idea is like they take pain to the point of pleasure, but they never take pleasure to the point of pain. They don't have like a guy in their nether regions like masturbating for 750 years in a row, <laughs> you know, right. to the point where like that's this is just fun anymore. Um, <laughs> I am mildly irritated by this. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like the chafing. Hey, um, Spit. But budgetary limitations, I get it. So what, what I wanted to do with a with a dish was kind of play with that same kind of idea. And after that last segue, saying play with is probably not the best choice of words. <laughs> sure, but, it is. Uh, sure it is. <laughs> we're all friends here. That's right. God. We're all grown up, I think. <laughs> so what I wanted to do is I wanted to take um, uh, ingredients that have... Uh, things that you might not consider pleasant or things that are very potent in one direction and put them together in such a way where you can't really tell where one starts and the other stops. So I wanted to play around specifically with bitter flavors and sour flavors and kind of push them to the point where uh, they become, you recognize them for what they are, but they also become very pleasant in their own way. So um, what I started off with was a... Uh, uh, an East Indian uh, vegetable, a bitter gourd, which I uh, posted its rather knobby picture of up on the uh, Facebook uh, group a little while ago. Uh, so that wasn't a picture of it. Uh, wasn't a picture of an infection or. Uh, oh God! <laughs> is it, no, it wasn't like a Jordy Varel moment. Uh, <laughs> little freak show shout out. Uh, up at the college. <laughs> Oh no, not there! Um, <laughs> so the uh, yeah, the bitter melon is a is a gourd uh, uh, that is knobby, full of seeds, and yes, it's extremely bitter. Um, fun fact: about ten years ago, I was convinced that bitterness in food was going to be the next big thing, kind of like the way uh, spicy food was, um, where people would just kind of like latch onto it out of the blue, and then there'd be a, this sort of uh, arms race of who could eat the most bitter thing, <laughs> and that never happened. <laughs> Maybe it will someday. Little but do we know that is... will be our tears. <laughs> <laughs> well, you we should have seen that. Coming. Well, that will be the bitterest but, uh... thing we consume. <laughs> we hope that's the bitterness mm. thing we consume. <laughs> but yeah, the bitterness in, in foods is like prized in other cultures. And uh, the bitter mel uh, the bitter melon or bitter gourd, which is the the bitter gourd, is the one that I was, or the corella, uh, was the one that I was working with there. Um, it's intensely bitter. Like uh, you question whether or not you've been poisoned uh, if if you eat it, uh, unless you're acclimated to it. So I wanted to work with some of that. Um, so I made sort of a, uh, a pickle out of it by uh, bathing it in coarse salt for a few days. And what that's going to do is like suck out a lot of the uh, uh, the moisture, if not all of the moisture, right out of the cell structure of it. Um, and so once that's happened for a, a couple of days, you get some fun osmotic reaction where now that its cells have been kind of stripped of moisture, you can insert another liquid back in. And in this case, I use buttermilk, which um, is nice, pleasant, but also has like a distinct tanginess to it. So uh, after a, a good salt soak uh, or almost a pickling, uh, the uh, bitter gourd gets soaked in a little bit of buttermilk until they plump up again. Uh, 
then it's just a matter of uh, tossing them a bit of flour and giving them a quick fry. Because anything that you find kind of unpleasant or not particularly good automatically becomes better when it's like crispy and deep fried. <laughs> so, you know, True. this is a universal fact. Right. Uh, <laughs> So that becomes like sort of a chip that we're going to use. And uh, so then for the sourness, uh, again, getting kind of a little bit exotic, uh, we wanted to work with tamarind, which uh, if you haven't used it, set, uh, you usually find it in those packets in the grocery store. They kind of look like dates, mm -hmm. but uh, they're the black leathery kind of looking dried fruit. They're very, very sour, extremely <laughs> sour unless you're buying the, uh, the sweetened kind. So the time um, daily of the fruit world. <laughs> but they are nice and fruity too they have like this uh the smell that comes off them belies like just how sour they're going to be um which i guess kind of goes back to your example there yeah stories i've heard um <laughs> that's for another podcast right. uh, but uh, so you take this like sort of pasty stuff you want to dissolve it in some water and I add a little bit of uh, brown miso to it, which uh, Japanese <laughs> ingredient. It's kind of got this like fermenty, slightly sweet funkiness to it, and that'll help to level it out. Um, so basically, you want to dissolve that down and kind of infuse the liquid, and then you've got all this like pulp that's left in there. So just strain that out through a strainer and cook that down until it's like a bit of a paste. And put that off to the side. Um, you can sweeten that with a little bit of honey if the sourness really gets to you. Um, and then what I'm going to use that for is a glaze for some fish. So I'm going to go with cod for this, but it will work with just about anything that's kind of like white and sweet, um, any kind of like buttery fleshed fish. Uh, so cod is like, in my area, that would be the one that you would want to go with. You could probably make it work with catfish or tilapia or something like that, uh, but those will cook a little bit faster, so just watch out for that. Um, so when your paste is a little like cool enough that it's not going to like cook the fish right away, just rub it into it a bit, let it sit on it for a while, and then you're just going to chuck that into a really hot oven. Um, and it won't take long to cook. I don't with fish. I don't like to give people like cooking times or anything like that because it's kind of a personal thing. Some people really like it to the point where I would call it overcooked. And that is what it is. It's kind of, you know, what you're used to. But with this kind of a thing, I kind of like to just go with, like, when you see the glaze start to, like, bubble and scorch a little bit, you know you're done. So some like it and... hot, but some sweat when the heat is on? <laughs> that, again, another universal truth. Uh, <laughs> and some people like to flake apart at the touch of a fork, which kind of goes back to Hellraiser, I guess. It, it does. But, uh, <laughs> and leprosy. <laughs> so the, the final little so you've got this like uh, sort of souriness that's going to be the edge of that's taken off by a bit of caramelization you've got this like bitterness that all of a sudden becomes quite pleasant because of the uh, sort of overworking of it um, kind of like in the way that gin can be pleasant um, and then the last thing that I'm going to do to finish this off is a, a chili sauce that I make and this is one that I actually use at the restaurant. It's uh, kind of a play on uh, cross signals. So with chilies, uh, the heat that you get from chili peppers is from uh, what they call capsium. And what that does is that it triggers a heat response in the brain. It's the same stuff that they use in analgesics like uh, Tiger Bomb and things like that. So what it will, it sends the brain a signal that makes it, think that it's uh that 
makes you think that you're experiencing like a burning, an actual physical burning, but you're not. Uh, so it's safe. It's very roller coastery that way. Um, so that's that's one of the appeals of hot and chilies and that sort of a thing. Uh, there's a similar reaction uh, that uh, plants that they're now being called mentholoids uh, give you, which the mentholoids sounds like you know an alien race from a Godzilla film. But uh, I used to watch that cartoon. <laughs> They were these scratch and sniff action figures. They <laughs> transform into cigarettes. <laughs> That's why you don't see that on Nick at Night or anything anymore. Newports, transform and roll out. <laughs> so you do have these plants that, like, like mint is a good example of it, um, that trigger a similar, a similar reaction that actually sends the brain a signal that you're cooling off. So uh, what I basically have done is taken like a, a chili infused vinegar, um, and I like to use like Thai chilies for that because they have some like nice fruitiness to it. Um, so I infuse some of those into some rice wine vinegar, um, and then add some components of plants that would fall into the mentholoid category. So mint, um, a little bit of chrysanthemum leaves. Like if you have any place around you that like does like custom tea blends. You tea blends you can get some chrysanthemum from them um and there's a citrus that uh, if you have access to a filipino grocery or a lot of asian groceries i guess you should be able to but it's a citrus called calamansi that is uh, sort of cross between like a tangerine and a lemon but they have this that uh, they fall into that category too so when you double up or triple up on all of these things uh, and you steep them in this in a vinegar solution with a few other little things, and I've got the recipe off to you. Uh, what you get at the end of it is the sensation of like, ooh, there's heat, but almost simultaneously get this, ooh, I'm cooling off at the same time, and it really kind of uh, freaks the mouth out a little bit. Yeah. So. Uh, Alamanti, I've never even heard of that. Yeah, no, it's it's actually used in a lot of sauces that you probably like in uh, the Asian section of uh, any grocery store has probably worked into a bunch of the sauces that you see if you read the ingredients label will show up a lot mm-hmm. uh, so it in its pure form is uh, is a little exotic but it shows up as a trace element in all kinds of things huh. and it, yeah it's a it's a it's a nice little fruit um, I actually I've got a little place around the corner for me that I can get the whole fruit they come in frozen which is probably less than ideal but it's as close to fresh as I'm gonna get in a northern climate. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a fun little one for cooking. Um, but when you get your hands on it, you probably would be able to taste some similarities to uh, <laughs> things that will remind you of, like soda pops and stuff because it will show up as a flavoring in those. So it has this it's it's different, but it also will probably come off as a bit familiar too. Huh. Okay. So then when you put all of these things together, you get this like uh, strange. Uh, Oh, this is bitter. This is sour. Oh, this is kind of nice. This is sweet. Where's this heat coming from? <laughs> and they're all coming together uh, quite nicely, and it's kind of tricky to figure out where they're all coming from. So that's that would be my little culinary ode to uh, uh, to Hellraiser right there. So what we've learned is there's a fine line between pleasure and pain. Mm. <laughs> I think that's the moral of this entire story. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a fine line that takes a hell of a lot of work <laughs> to, <laughs> to fully exploit. 
<laughs> or nigh-immortal quasi-demonic creatures that have spent their entire existence exploring that sort of thing to help you out with it. And a lot of pleather. Right. And a whole lot of pleather. Yeah, lots and lots of pleather. And I still don't understand what the whole like, creepy-crawly demon mouth face guy figures <laughs> oh, into all of that. The engineer? I think he's just like, he's, he's like a, uh, it's he's, like a, he's like a, I don't know. He's like a buffer. He's like the cleaners in the labyrinth. He just kind of roams around hallways. He's <laughs> some kind of terrible Pac-Man monster that never really does anything. <laughs> well, you know, he's scary and stuff, so I mean, that's a good role. Is he? <laughs> well, he's got a big face. He's got a big face. One big face Things with yeah, well, you know, big face is scary. <laughs> Just in general, you know, that's it's one of those unavoidable that's things. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Nick Cage comes to mind. <laughs> As he often does. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a big, big face. <laughs> <sighs> that should be the name of his talk show. <laughs> Nick Cage comes to mind. <laughs> oh, that's, that's okay. almost as good. A, Go ahead. I always thought Ted Danson should have a have a talk show, but it would be uh, filmed in sort of a set that was like an outdoor set in sort of an urban area, and the, the show would just be called Dancing in the Streets. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> And at the beginning, he calls out all the major markets that his show is shown in. <laughs> <laughs> in a perfect world, that would be the majority of the show. North America. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you appreciate that, because I feel guilty every time I say that. <laughs> No, 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 no. Oh, there's no one no should ever either. feel guilty about saying shit like that around us. Oh. It is constant and terrible in this house. Holy shit. Uh, you see, okay, you're you're validating, like, all of what I imagine things would be like. So that's that makes me feel good. <laughs> it may be better than you imagine, to, to be perfectly honest. Oh, I have a self-limiter. So, like, I, I never want to oversell everything, right? Like, I always want to keep that little, that little hope that things would go beyond where right. I, uh, where I expect them to. So, yes, yeah. that's that's good to know. We, Dangle that in front of me. We try to overpromise and underdeliver. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Strike that. Reverse it. Yeah. Right. Well, Al, if we ever had any reason to travel north, you are one of the few. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Really <laughs> Especially well, if you, you do, get those creamy don't panty come in fruits. the winter. <laughs> don't go. Don't go in yeah. Uh, yeah, fuck that. Yeah. yeah. No. no, if I could find an excuse to come up and visit you guys at this time of year, good God. Yeah, yeah. It, would be, it would be like a... Organize a conference or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that would be like spring Excuse for me. you. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> We've threatened to try to get together the uh, trying to get together Cootie Con. <laughs> oh, nice! Hey, I am totally behind the concept of Cootie Con. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
everybody would wear t-shirts with vaginas on them. It yep. would be <laughs> we need those creamy oh, panty fruits you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that, that could be like their marketing board could be like some kind of a corporate sponsor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know who. Every fruit has a board. <laughs> Some kind of I don't, marketing they're not board. Edible if they don't have a marketing board. You'll like choke. Yeah, they don't even exist. Pretty it's much. Like, who, like, like who the fuck? If ain't somebody's raisins? not actively marketing something to me, I don't use it. <laughs> who ate raisins before the damn claymation commercials? No one. <laughs> Old people, but they were just happy. It was just in the brand. They had to eat it, you know. Oh, and they were just delusional. They didn't know what they were eating. <laughs> It could have been dirt, small pieces of glass. I mean, you had to give it a name first. Yeah, see, and that's what the marketing boards do. So I, I do have a political theoretical question for you. Oh, wow. So if Linda McMahon is now... Um, what what is her? She is the, she's admi- the grand vizier of small business or something. It's something like that. She's the sm- the secretary of the administration of small business or the small business administration. SBA. So what happens when TNA goes looking for support to them? <laughs> <laughs> is there a conflict of interest of the first order? Or, uh... It won't matter because Linda will be in her wheelchair, katatana, catatonic. <laughs> well, that's the point where like reality starts to fold in on itself. Um, that's just the end of existence. Yeah, those yeah. lines start to blur. The the outer light starts peeking in, and then yeah. madness. And, Before you know it, Keith Lee Lewis. Event Horizon is just a documentary right. at that point. Yeah. I told a friend of mine, this is like a, this is like appointing James Wood as the drug czar. So. <laughs> there could be merit to that. <laughs> it's like a Pat Garrett, Billy the Kid kind of scenario, you know? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't even... I, I saw that and I thought, oh, this is fake news. This is not real. Yeah, and then this is one was, of those fake news things that everyone was talking about. Right? Yeah, and no, it was confirmed everywhere, and I did not understand my life anymore. <laughs> oh, Jesus! Fucking, it's it's a, it's a side <laughs> show, dude. We just like part uh, of us. Part of us really wants to become like activists and just be on the front lines with our fucking megaphones and Molotov cocktails and be like, fuck this. And the other part of us just wants to pop a big batch of fucking popcorn and sit on the fucking top of a mountain somewhere and just watch the whole shit show and laugh our asses off the whole time. Burn it all down. And we don't know which one to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a tough call. I I wouldn't rush into a decision on that for like the first six months. (laughs) That's kind of what we're thinking, but we're really prone to just kind of the wait and see type of mentality anyway. So no, I I I think that's sound. Like there's a a few too many hot takes going on right now. Yeah. (laughs) You know, a a few like lukewarm takes. That's that's what I'm kind of like looking for. 
it's there's there's just weird little fucking things that keep popping up in rapid succession that just tell me that it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing and just terrifying at the same time and yeah. I know where I stand. I just don't know what I want to actively do about it yet. Because we can't know. shoot the fucker. Yeah. No. Well, he's got the best bodyguard in the world, and that goes by the name of Pence. Yeah. Like. And that's... he's scarier than anybody well, else. Well, exactly. Right? That's why we can't kill Trump, because then Pence will get in office. Oh. Yeah. Although, as someone asked me, does that apply like before inauguration? I don't. I know. don't know. Would that like but I not think so because flip everything is... to like a time of crisis and then the well, sitting he... president would stay on until no not because... that I'm... <laughs> we're being monitored. I shouldn't I say know. this. <laughs> My wife is. How many more keywords can we throw out there, Alan? <laughs> I, I know I'm being my, my, my wife has successfully sued the federal our federal government in Canada so <laughs> everything I say I know is being recorded so well, we're uh, not saying that we want to assassinate Donald Trump <laughs> no it's it's a political or, science question right it's but, all I, theoretical. but what I am saying is since Pence is vice president elect I think mm-hmm. they would just go straight to him uh, which yeah. will create the jobs building internment camps so that's when i start building molotov cocktails yeah yes and i mean that's when i reach for my revolver that's when the shit gets real because like that's you know that's like booze going up (laughs) yes yes you know when i'm willing to sacrifice good vodka then shit has hit right on (laughs) like it's on <laughs> Everyone has a line. That's right. <laughs> Everybody reaches that point where they're like, fuck it. I'm going to be sober and I'm going to burn all this shit down. <laughs> yeah. It's, everything's going to be on fire and I'm not even going to be rooting and enjoying it. Right. I'm going to elect Walter Hill, the czar of sexual re education. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that film yet? <laughs> Wait, which one? What? Oh no! You put the tra- oh that trans movie? <laughs> yeah, the trans. No. Oh no! No. Oh, I, I don't know terrible? if I, I, I want to see that, but. I don't. I don't want to use it. Like I don't want to watch that from like my Netflix account. <laughs> you know, that's, right. I gotta get somebody else's login for that because I don't. I don't want that to be on my record. Like, but, uh, hours. We're already on all kinds of watch lists. Essentially, essentially, it's like Gina Handsome as far as I'm. As far as I'm. <laughs> <laughs> or I don't know, kind of like a dumbass action movie version of uh, it was Aldemovar's uh, In My Skin. Yes. Uh. Yeah. So, Jesus, because that's something we need anyway. <laughs> 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 well, we were having fun there for a while. Uh, <laughs> that's a turn for the grim. Yeah, it's all right. It gets dark here fast. Yeah, I know. It really I love there too. 
Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners this week, Uncle Al? No, uh, just that, uh, you know, thanks for listening. And um, uh, I will say that like any of the recipes that I do put out, they actually work. I do test them and uh, I try to document them as best as I can in, uh, in an actual like working environment. So feel free to muck around with them. At the same time, I don't get too prescriptive if you've seen the texts of, uh, of how I write them up. Every recipe is, unless you're talking about a cake, is pretty much a guideline. So, you know, never get too hung up on uh, on being, like, religious about following anything. If you like the basic kernel of an idea, just run with it and play around with it, and you'll probably find something that you enjoy. It's like the Pirate's Code. <laughs> it's, it's very much like that, yes. Nice. I love it. I'm for it. Or, or like the Baha'i Church. <laughs> <laughs> The high church. Yeah, you know, shop to... around, take yeah. some stuff from this, take some stuff from that. Yeah. You'll find something you like, and you'll get a lot of holidays. Oh, that sounds like Wicca. And you'll end up a Urantian. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this book has 9,000 pages. I think I'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're a denizen of the Nova Scotia area, you've got to check out Picnic at Dart. And experience Alan's creative menus and culinary expertise. You can learn more about Picnic and Alan on the Kiss the Goat website. Check out the page for The Devil Eats Out and see Alan's recipes from past episodes. Back in a bit for Act 3 of KTG, where I inhabit Cootie's skin. Woohoo! Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. Most effective, Your Majesty. We'll destroy this Earth. Destroy it utterly. Send Rick and Danny in wool rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the visual screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud 2? Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? What's a critter? Oh, I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Hemming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcasts. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Hemming. Breaking two? Electric Boogaloo? Samurai Cop? Army of Darkness? Flash Dance? <laughs> we might destroy the planet if it's Flash Dance. We are back, and it's time for what is allegedly the internet's fastest movie breakdown. Three questions. Three questions! 
your guest must answer me these questions three. Yeah, the other side, you see. So, riddle me this, Batman. Is Hellraiser a devil movie? I kind of feel like Hellraiser is... How do I want to say this? A fetish movie? Oh, it's death a fetish movie. Jesus Christ. (laughs) This is so much a fetish movie. It's almost like it takes place, like, kind of in a a department of hell. Mm. (laughs) Not like... Not like main hell. Like, you know, kind of like the hell warehouse. (laughs) Third floor, uh, vinyl and hooks and chains. (laughs) Please exit the elevator carefully. That's right. Have a great day. We have a special this week on sun celebrations. Yeah, no, not a devil movie. No, not a devil movie. No. no just but, a you know, fancy-ass BDSM movie. It's fun, nonetheless. Oh, yeah, I don't hate it at all. Not not a bit. <clears throat> so, leading into that, question number two, on a scale of one to six, how many devil horns do you give Hellraiser? You know, I'm a huge Clive Barker fan. Love his books. Um, they lose a lot in translation into movies, unfortunately. Um, but still, you know, I like Hellraiser. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I've seen all of them at some point over the course of the last 10 years. Um, I can pretty much guarantee you have. Yeah, I I would give it a three, like a solid three. That's about as high as I would rank it, though, honestly. It loses a lot. That animation is terrible. The whatever the that fucking condor monster, whatever the shit that's supposed to be at the end, is just terrible. Um, so yeah, it doesn't age well. But at the same point, some really strong performances. Um, so I'm gonna go three and a half. Three and a half. Three and a half. All right. I mean, I appreciate. I mean, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. Let's go ahead with question number three, and then I'll continue what I was going to say. <laughs> All right. Well, question number three is, why should our acolytes watch Hellraiser, or should they? Because if if <clears throat> acolytes, like me, you were alive in the 80s and wanted to fuck the living shit out of Annie Lennox, <laughs> seeing Julia is probably the closest that you will ever get. Oh, my God. She looks like Annie Lennox. She's, she's not as pretty as Annie Lennox. No, she's not. And Annie did way cooler shit with her hair. And there was that yeah. one video where Annie kept switching wigs, and that was just that was spank material for days. <laughs> Holy God! <laughs> but yeah, I mean, watch because the performances are good. The Cenobites are iconic, obviously. So if you've somehow not seen this and want to know where the Cenobites came from, by all means, that's that's fun to watch. That's what I started to say. If if at this point in your life and you are listening to this fucking podcast right. and have not seen Hellraiser, I'm sorry, guys. I have to insist that you stop what you're doing right now. Acquire lies cheat still do whatever you have to do get your hands on a copy of hellraiser it doesn't matter if it's blu-ray or if it's a shitty vhs rip because you know what they're both gonna look the same 
It's true. Especially, Just watch. Especially if, if you get the Dimension Blu-ray that's got both Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2 on it. Yep, that's a VHS rip for sure. There you go. Just watch it. And, and really, it doesn't matter. Just you need to watch it. Well, you know, there are times when you've got your undead lover living in the attic. He just happens to be your husband's brother, and he needs blood in order for flesh to keep growing on that gaunt little body of his. That's a stressful situation, and you know what we do during stressful situations. <laughs> we drink! And ah. that means that it is once again time for Drinking with the Devil, where your love of movies meets your disdain for your own liver. <laughs> Drink when you notice that Pinhead and Julia are wearing the same shade of eyeshadow. <laughs> Drink every time Kirsty is on the verge of a panic attack. <laughs> Drink every time Julia looks like she's about to squirt. <laughs> And drink every time Pinhead looks pissed off. Oh, for fuck's sake. Does he <laughs> smile? Ever? Well, there are levels. There are <laughs> levels. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, for our Grandmaster Challenge, drink anytime any character in this movie hits on another character in this movie. Oh, it's a good one. We're all going to be under the table. Julia at the airport. Frank with Julia. Yeah. Frank with Kirsty. Frank with Kirsty. Julia once with Larry. Julia that with, that, really with that kid with the horrible sweater. The guy yeah. From LA. Yeah. <laughs> asking anyway. and not much getting in this movie. <laughs> there is. There really is. <laughs> But as we always say, we here at KTG do not condone underage drinking or alcohol abuse. However, they've always worked for us. Moving on, moving on. Oh, Jesus, it's time to find out what kind of horrible things you've been saying to us. Welcome to another edition of Ask the Goat, where we answer your questions and you question our answers. Cussing your love letter. Straight from my heart, fucker! You know what a love letter is? It's a bullet from a fucking gun, fucker! You receive a love letter from me, you're fucked forever! As Cootie rummages through the malevolent mailbag... Rummage, rummage, rummage! Let it be known that I, Horace Bones, was born into hell. <laughs> Please, Christ, stop quoting I Drink Your Blood, especially in bed, okay? It was, it was cute for a while... And that time has passed. What, what about the leather vest with no shirt? Oh, well, shit, that can stay. I'm no fool. Sweet. That, it, it gives me confidence. <laughs> it's good to know. <laughs> anyway, you can send your questions in to Ask the Goat in three ways. You ready? Here we go. First, simply leave us a voicemail on the goat line. That number is 865-309-4969. Just as easy as making a phone call. You can also send us an MP3 file to askthegoat at kissthegoat.com. Or you can take the easy way out and just post your question on our Facebook group page. X usually puts a call out for questions two or three days before we record. And if you're not a member of our Facebook page, get the fuck on that. 
right? <laughs> right. Right. Golly. So who's our first question from X? Our first voicemail this week is from our favorite Angry Ginger, Matthew Tangen. Yo, this is Matt the Angry Ginger coming straight out of Washington. Just want to say keep it gangsta, X. Here's some fresh-ass flows for you. Just waking up in the morning, gotta thank God. I don't know, but today seems kind of odd. No barking from the dog, no smog. And mama cooked the breakfast with no hog. Got my grub on, but didn't pig out. Finally got a call from my girl I want to dig out. Hooked it up for later as I hit the door, thinking will I live another 24. Peace. My question for you is, favorite gangster rapper of all time, besides me, of course. Thanks for the show, guys. Take it easy. Bye. So I'm going to need you to translate for me. What the fuck was his question? <laughs> Who is your favorite gangster rapper? Gangster rapper? I don't even... I Okay, guys, I am a middle-aged white Appalachian woman. I don't even know what qualifies a rapper as being gangsta. Not Will Smith. No, okay. That's a, to be a little more specific. I, <laughs> a gangster rapper doesn't care if his parents understand. <laughs> yeah, um... Matthew, thank you for the voicemail. I don't have a favorite gangster rapper. Um, I don't, I, I just, I can't relate to that kind of music because that's really not part of my culture. So I don't really listen to it. I, you know, I know, um, I know Ice-T because X loves him. And that's right. That, that's about it. See, and there's the thing, because for me, it comes down to, it's like the battle of the Ices. Because <laughs> I love Ice Cube and I love Ice T, and I love them equally but in different proportions. Okay. Because I think Ice T, even though you know he plays a cop on Law, Law and Order now and released a song called Cop Killer, and he's married to his you know sweet fat booty wife, and they had a reality show for a while. <laughs> I think that he has stayed more more true to the game and more true to himself than Ice Cube. Okay. Because when Ice Cube tells me, you know, f- fuck the police and, you know, I'm packing an AK-47 or whatever, I'm thinking, motherfucker, I've seen Are We There Yet? All you want to do is raise this other f- woman's kids and learn how to fly fish. Mm-hmm. This is way different from, you know, the cube that I was aware of when he first came on the scene who hated Koreans and walked around with a machine gun. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think T still has more credibility, but I think cube is more fun to listen to. So that's... That's how I'll answer that question. It's well, and that's fair, and I respect that. It's just it's it's not um, it's not something that I've ever really been interested in. Right. So I have I have no response to that except that I don't know. It ain't George and Tammy. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> that's the fucking truth, right? Well, our first letter this week comes from Chuck Knight. He wants to know, does meth attract McDonald's? 
McDonald's oh, attract paranoia, or is the answer all of the above? <laughs> yeah, I have an answer for this. Oh, do you? I do. <laughs> okay. It's the dollar menu. Oh. It's the cha-ching. dollar menu because, you know, after you ingest whatever form of meth you're ingesting, you've probably got just enough money left for a delicious McChicken. <laughs> and that's probably about all your system can handle at that point, too. So, yeah, it brings in the meth, it brings in the paranoia, it brings in the guys who, you know, just haven't emptied out their change jar at the coin star yet. So, <sighs> That's 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 my answer is that's the dollar menu. My system can't handle that. What? Well, yeah, I'm breakfast all day. I said my system can't handle that. I can't tell you the last time I ate McDonald's. It's because you're smart. And I don't do math. (laughs) Because you're smart. (laughs) It's a hell of a drug, man. Oh, God. Well, our next voicemail comes from KTG's favorite angry ginger, Matthew Tangen. Hey, guys, it's Matt the Angry Ginger. Got a couple questions for you. First off, what would be your favorite Monty Python sketch? And second, if you could be, if you have, if you were a slasher in a slasher film, what would be your signature weapon or move be? Again, thanks for the show, guys. It's great. Bye. I don't think it's fair. What, to ask what your favorite Monty Python sketch is? Not, not fair. That is not <laughs> fair because I have so many of them that I love, that I love equally. So, yeah, my favorite Monty Python sketch is Ice Cube. I mean, because really that seems to be the theme of yours. Ask X about shit that he loves on an equal, equal level. Um, my... I think my favorite sketch is an obscure one. It's after Cleese left the series, so it was in the third. It was in the third season, and the the episode is called the Light Entertainment War. And <laughs> okay, there it's, it's like an army tribunal, and the generals don't understand that the person who's on trial used to like. Used to. He used to do things for them, sir. The dirty of the uniform was just things. He used to oblige them, sir. The dirty value obliged. Yes, sir. The dirty value of the uniform was. How did he oblige them? What, sir? How did he oblige them? He um. He used to make them happy in little ways, sir. The dirty value of the uniform cannot have been less than them at all, sir. I submit that this is totally irrelevant. I want to know how he made them happy. He used to ram things up oh, them. You need to spell it out. And then it, I don't think I've seen this it, one. And then, and then it ends up with them singing this weird kind of like '40s show tune. <laughs> You know, you know how they sing Anything Goes at the beginning of Temple of Doom? Yeah. The song is Anything Goes In, Anything Goes Out, Fish, Bananas, Old Pajamas, Mutton, Beef, and Trout. And it's one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen. Oh my gosh. Every time. And you know, I watch Python a lot. 
Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot. So yeah, <laughs> Ministry of Silly Walks, fantastic. The Spam Skit, fantastic. Uh, Up Your Pavement, fantastic. I mean, there's so many that I could name. There are very few losers. Uh, Neutron Man is a loser, and so is uh, the, the Bicycle Tour episode. But, fuck it, the Light Entertainment War... Eric Idle, just as a World War II fighter pilot, is just, it's gorgeous. So great. So yeah, that's my favorite. Okay, so I don't know the fucking names of them like you do. Like, I love Monty Python, but I I am not that level of fandom that, that you are at. So, but that's okay, because I love it, and it makes me giggle. Even when I'm, like, only half watching it when you've got it on television, and you're guffawing, and I'm over in the corner, like, looking at Facebook, and I'm just like, hee-hee, because <laughs> I heard something. Um, but my favorite one, really, and this is going to seem weird and random, and I don't even know, like, I can't explain why it's my favorite. But the favorite one that I can remember, I can't remember the name of the sketch, but it's the one where um, he is putting together a team to go on an expedition to climb this mountain. And the guy comes in and he's talking to him and the other guy that's with him, which the the guy can't see. Like, (laughs) And (laughs) and they go through this whole sketch and he's like talking about him in multiples. And he's finally like, you know what? I don't want to be part of this. And he leaves. And then you see, actually, there was another guy. And for some reason, he just couldn't see him. Like his doppelganger is real. He couldn't see him. And that just that just fucking left turn out of reality into into something else just cracks me up every time. Well, I'm afraid I shan't be coming on your expedition, sir, as I've absolutely no confidence in anyone involved in it. Oh dear. Well, how about you? Well, I'm game, sir. So are we. That I is, love it. That is intensely surreal. I do love that <laughs> sketch, too. Where, the, <laughs> where they thought they had sent two people up to Kilimanjaro before they built a bridge. <laughs> and Clay's comes crawling through in the middle of the sketch, and he's just, like, tearing down the entire fucking office. Oh, That's so great. <laughs> That's a great choice. I, I, I'll, I'll approve. He had a let's see. He had a second part to that question. He wanted to know. Um, oh yeah, if you, if you were a slasher in a slasher film, what would be, what your, would signature be your signature weapon, weapon or signature move? Yeah. Um, if I were in a slasher film, what would be my signature weapon or signature move? Um. You know, um, like the smart part of me wants to think that I would be like, I would use a fucking crossbow because it's so quiet and I could just fucking pick people off. But that's no fun. I would be like Leatherface. I would come in with a fucking chainsaw blaring and just like blood splattering the walls. I would want to be that serial killer slasher killer. I would be like, fuck yeah, you know I'm here. You know, you're going to piss yourself before I even get to you because you can hear me coming. Wow. Really going for that, going for that tactic, huh? Yeah, because it's terrifying. I would use a Swiss Army knife. What? Because there's something fantastic about having one weapon 
which still allows you to kill somebody with a tiny pair of scissors or a corkscrew or a bottle opener or a metal toothpick. I like I like these things. I like this uh-huh. thing a lot. So Swiss Army knife. That is a very close range weapon, love. Those little tiny saws that would take you like four days to cut a branch off of a tree. Imagine you said mm-hmm. that on a person. They'd oh, get yeah. bored. They would get bored and walk away. You're going to bleed out. I know, but fuck. (laughs) I can at least do it while I'm looking at my phone. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Oh, all right then. Uh, Let's see. Our second letter of the show comes from, well, Chuck Knight. Uh, Yeah, he wants to know what is... The nature of the beast. Are there happy little trees and cute fluffy clouds, or is it just bleak and the smell of despair and broken dreams of small children? <laughs> That's a very eloquent question. <laughs> However, I think this is one that deserves a serious answer. Oh, serious answer. I think the nature of the beast is human nature. Oh, Look at you getting all philosophical on us. Yeah, I don't know about that. It's just that was the first thing that came to mind. Oh, that's just what we—that's us. We are us. The beast is man. That's what we do. (sighs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm having I'm having flashbacks from reading that book. Fucking book that Exorcist Three was based on. What was it called? Oh, Legion. Legion. <sighs> Guys, if you haven't read Legion, please read. If you read, like seriously, if you read and you enjoy reading and you haven't read Legion, read Legion. Especially you, Chuck Knight. I think Chuck has it. I don't know. Does he? I think. Good. I think if he doesn't. About he that. should. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. All right. So our final question of this episode of Ask the Goat comes from Mike Merriman, who simply asks, yay or nay? But he's attached a photo of hot buttered rum mix. (laughs) Fuck. I'm never going to, I'm never, never going to live that down. That's, that is all. (laughs) Darling, I think you've become synonymous with terrible holiday choices. Oh, great. I've, I've always wanted to be a role model. Uh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't want that. Yeah. Um, I. The only reason I would want that is so that I could laugh some more at X having that. So, um, otherwise, it's just pretty pointless for me. There's no. There's no reason to do that to a liquid. Yeah, you know, um, it's alcohol, whatever. Yeah, but it's it's taking a good thing and turning it into the thing that should not be. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like, like, here's water, we're going to put this into it, oh, and now it's the primordial ooze from which all life spawned. Horrible. (laughs) Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Kiss, of Kiss the Goat. Um, thanks to Bo at Legion Podcasts for not telling us to, you know, sod off and take our weird-ass little shows somewhere else. And thanks to Al McPherson for being our own personal food guy, someone to braise our meats, somewhere to eat. 
Reach, reach out, out touch, touch out. out. <laughs> Did that work? I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't know either. Uh, Let's move on. It was worth a shot. Yeah. Hey, once again, get your devil-loving asses over to the Facebook group. We have tons of fun in there, and you'll get to see full, unexpurgated exorcisms, Al's food picks and recipes, and all sorts of shenanigans from our listeners. Maybe we'll even sing "Personal Jesus" with your name in it. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> Speaking of, not likely. Why? <laughs> thanks, you guys. Our acolytes for listening, spreading the word, and being just generally fucking awesome. You keep this tractor trailer going to crazy town. Hey, till next time, which will be our third annual Kisty Goat Holiday Extravaganza. That's so fun to say. Let's hit it again. Just because it's yeah. Our Please. third annual Kiss the Goat Holiday Extravaganza. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. We'll sell you the seed, but you'll only need the edge! <laughs> my name's X. And my name is Cootie. Hell Satan! Gundo. the king, Gundo king. Gundo only pawned in Game of Life. You're a dirty monkey. That's right, they got you another now, Jack. <laughs> Don't get some ice in the house, that head's gonna rot. <laughs> I'll fix it in post! Fix it in post! Except on Sunday. Except on Sundays. There's no post on Sundays. On Sundays. And since it is such a classic, I, hell, I came out the year. Jesus. I did not come out the you year I graduated high school. <laughs> That's the kind of effect this film had on me. Is came out. By the way, Jesus, WWE. Four shows I have to keep up with now, not counting. Let me try that again. <laughs> I'm taking the biggest goose in the window for myself. Now go away. You know what's in the salad? The souls of everyone you've ever loved. I eat it. <laughs> you get the fuck out. Put your stick in there and stir it. Yeah, I call this the honey pot. <laughs> wow. Are we drunk already? Yeah, no, I like all of it. But it's fun when it comes back around to me. <laughs> I'm your cursory glancer Glancer for money And I'm gonna go pee on that note Money (laughs) I'm not sorry I took the money I'm sorry I took the money I didn't have this when he goes all the way back to Africa now, did, did God tell you that? Or did you figure out... Look. Five. Four. Three. He, she got to lose somebody's baby. You pee quickly. I do pee quickly. 
I'm a quick peer. <laughs> you must have intense peer pressure. So anyway, the, 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 I have to stop saying so anyway, because I annoy the <laughs> fuck out of myself. And if I cut every single time I said anyway out of the show in post, you should be three minutes long. And you would be involved in editing for like four days straight. Yeah, you you would get an episode once every six months. You'd just be like, bring me more coffee, Cooney. God damn it. And after about a year and a half of it, you would just have to commit me. I would just <laughs> be out of my fucking mind. Merry <laughs> fucking Christmas. Cheers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. I have a miniature pincher. Yowling at me. You're stuck away from it. Okay, run away. fucking hell. You know, Skype, all I want is a different theme. That's all I'm after. Thank you. That's all I'm asking for. That's all I'm asking for. This call's failed twice. It's all I'm, it's all I'm, it's all I'm asking for. I have all these people on my Skype list that I don't think you Skype me. Let's talk them. Just call them all random. Hey! Remember me? What you doing? You still use Skype? Yeah, Billy, give me a call. Yeah, Billy, call me. It's important. It's about his soccer practice dental appointment. <laughs> Anything goes in, anything goes out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just-